Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics. My name's Adam. I'm Gareth. And today we're talking about, well, we're taking a trip back in time. Yeah, we're doing a bit of a retro throwback episode. We um, we tend not to get involved in these because we're too busy catching up on all the modern day new stuff, but we thought Halloween's coming up. What's, a, what's an unsung Halloween film that we like a lot? I would say going back to 1994, that would be The Crow. Yeah, we're going to do ourselves an episode on The Crow. And we've timed this pretty damn well because we've hit the 20, 25th anniversary of this film coming out, but also the 30th anniversary of the original book coming out. And it's almost time for Devil's Night? Yeah. Okay. Now, I'll be honest, until I'd seen this movie, I had no idea what the hell Devil's Night was. Same. Yeah, yeah oh, good. No, that's not just I, me. I, I, I thought heard of it. I thought I was one of those weird kids who was just like, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I, maybe it's an American thing. Do, do Americans celebrate that? I think it's a um, specifically Detroit okay. kind of thing, or at least it was originally, because I know like D12 and Eminem have rapped about it a ton. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. There's a hardcore band called um, X Tyrant X, naturally a straight edge band with that kind of name. Yeah, oh, yeah, um, of they've got a, they've got an album called Devil's Night, which is all about like gang members attacking each other and trying to find each other over like the space of a Devil's Night. Yeah. Um, which is kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, they're the only other places I've ever seen it kind of referenced apart from this movie. Yeah, which is where the movie takes place. That's right, yeah. October 30th, the day before Halloween, is known in certain parts of America as Devil's Night. And apparently it's known for being completely lawless and cra- crazy and chaotic because the police force are usually so busy preparing for Halloween and all the other stuff that's going to go on that they tend to be less available to deal with crimes and that kind of thing. Well, maybe it's like, say, Australia Day in Australia falls on like a Wednesday. Yeah. So everyone's going to get hammered on the day before because the day after is a public holiday. Yeah. Maybe it's something like that. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, no, no, it's not the worst. speculation, but that's it... Uh, what, that's what we do best on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it was made back in 1994, of course, uh, based upon the comic by James O'Barr. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the lead role was Brandon Lee. And of course, probably one of the, I guess, the most well-known and, I guess, notoriety of the movie is that yeah. throughout the filming of it, Brandon Lee was, was killed. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of apocryphal tales about why uh, this was able to happen, what exactly happened with the whole the whole death on set and that kind of thing. Um, the kind of accepted mythology behind it, or not mythology because that kind of makes it sound way more, you know, unreal. Like been watching Dragon, the Bruce <laughs> Lee story. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just, you know, human error kind of thing. Uh, basically, they were making the, the guys on the, on the set in charge of the explosives and the um, guns and that kind of thing were making their own blanks on the set because they were going through so many of them, they were having to make their own. Um, ah. And when they made this latest round, they forgot to empty the original bullet out of the chamber of the gun that they were testing the firing pins and stuff on. And that one, fa- that one real bullet was in a chamber full of blanks. And as they were firing, there's that scene where uh, Brandon Lee as the crow, he's in the boardroom kind of looking area. Oh yeah. Um, that's about two thirds of the way through the film, if I remember rightly. But it was filmed quite, you know, sort of early on in the piece. Um, they ended up basically gunning him down for real, and he took a shot, gunshot to the stomach. And bled out on the way to the uh, the emergency room. Yeah, it's a pretty tragic tale. It's and awful, um, isn't it? The, the the place where Brandon Lee's career was as well. This was going to be, I guess, a real big sort of starring role for him. He'd done a couple yeah. of sort of uh, 
action movies like um, I know he did Legacy of Rage, which was an old Hong Kong action yeah, film. Yeah, um, Showdown in Little Tokyo. Showdown in Little Tokyo was a big one. Uh, Rapid Fire as yep. well, which I think they were reasonably successful. Yeah, they were like he was kind of Showdown in Little Tokyo is Dolph Lundgren as well, isn't uh, yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that in recent? Not times? for a long time. <laughs> I rewatched it a few months ago. <laughs> that uh, reaction tells me it's amazing. Age has not been kind to that movie, <laughs> and honestly, Brandon Lee's great in it. It's just certain things around it are just like, oh man. Let's be um, let's be honest. Not a lot of things have been kind to Dolph Lundgren. Let alone I, I love him though. Oh, Rocky, Rocky Four has been incredibly kind um, to him. True, that's true. Um, but anyway, maybe eat my, eat my words two seconds after making a statement right there. <laughs> Don't get me started on Universal Soldier. Now. The first one was good. Um, okay, so Brandon Lee, of course, this is more of a serious role for him. He yeah, did, he didn't want to be following in his father's footsteps. Of course, if you're unknowing and shame on you, it's he's the son of Bruce Lee. That's correct. He didn't want to be known as like a uh, just a martial arts yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's a really brave decision at that kind of point in your career when you're making films like Showdown in Little Tokyo, which have that blend of art, martial arts, and action. It could be quite easy to go down that route. Tons of those movies were being made in the, the late '80s, early '90s. You know, there was a plethora of options for him to take on if he just wanted to give a you know have a safe kind of you know consistent role. He could also just lay on the fact that he's the son of Bruce Lee. That's it, yeah. He's always got that that money to fall back on if he really wanted to, but, you know, he wanted to challenge challenge himself and take on something completely different. And that led us to this, um, which is it's very sad when you're sort of, uh, you know, you're watching in retrospect, and I think that Brandon Lee does a great job in it. Um, And the, the, the time it came out as well, I was very excited for this movie. Um, I was I was pretty young. I think I was like in year eight or something. And they just brought in the MA classification mm-hmm. in Australia. So you had to be either 15 years or older. Yeah. Or if you were under 15, you had to have like a parent guardian or someone overage to go with you. I was definitely underage. I was 10 when this movie came okay, out. Okay, yeah. I was, I was 13. So yeah. And uh, no no one would go and watch it with me. So I missed Wankers. out seeing it at the theatres, which I, I, I still hold against everyone. So. You should. You should. Yeah. Much, much, much to, much to their chagrin. I'm sure they've gone back and rewatched it and gone, we were idiots. I don't know. Then yeah, I don't know if it's my mum's kind of movie, but anyway. Um, so uh, I, I was a big fan of this movie when I finally got to rent it out on the VHS. I even bought an ex rental copy, Very as smart. was the style at the time. That was, um, and uh, it led to me reading the comic after the fact. I hadn't read the comic beforehand, obviously. Mm-hmm. Back when I was thirteen, most of my you know uh, comics were bought from a news agent with a heart, you know, bent in half and yeah, that's it. Treated like dog shit. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was in the same boat. I didn't read the book until after I'd seen the film. Um, a girl I was dating at the time was a massive goth and she had like Sandman, uh, the crow, all that kind of stuff. So I borrowed her copy to read and awesome. yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, I, it's not one I've gone back and reread a lot. Um, I did reread it for this, um, for this episode. Um, comparatively, I will say the film holds up a lot better than the comic. That's personal opinion. Yeah. Um, your your mileage may vary in that regard. I do find a lot of the references are very. Um, you can you can see a lot of new a lot of um, James O'Barr's influences from other kind of goth creators and that kind of thing. And obviously, there's the element of his own personal tragedy that led up to him creating this book because um, I believe his partner was actually murdered by like gang members and stuff like that in like a home invasion uh, which kind of led to the inspiration of him channeling a lot of what happened to him into this story and this artwork and that kind of thing because he did write draw ink the whole thing himself I really like the artwork in the comic it is definitely cool don't get me wrong don't get me wrong one yeah. one bit um, it's a beautiful looking book um, and the fact that it's still holds you know the test of time in terms of you say the crow to most people who have a vague interest in comics and that kind of thing they know exactly what you're talking about 
Yeah, I mean, um, the other thing, as you, as you said, it was it 1989 the comic came out? Yeah. And uh, the movie came out in 1994. I've had one of my friends say that they went to try and watch The Crow for the first time uh, more recently. And they were just like, oh, it was just so dated. I couldn't get through it. And I'm just like, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> how can you not? Li- I mean, I don't know. I really like a lot of older stuff. Whereas they're, they're both products of their time. Very much so. So the movie is very 90s or very like, you know, early to mid 90s. Whereas the comic is a lot more 80s. I think especially with like the feathery mullet kind of look yeah, that he's got his, going his on. Yeah, his hair's more glam rock in the, yeah. uh, in the comic. And uh, it's very almost, yeah, sort of 80s goth glam. Whereas in the uh, in the movie, it's a lot more sort of 90s alternative, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely the, um, you can see the kind of connective DNA of something like The Crow, the film, with someone like Marilyn Manson. Oh, like, yeah, the definitely. amount of influence that would have gone through someone like that would be just ridiculous to, to think about. And obviously, um, one thing that we in particular connected with this film was the soundtrack. Oh my god! Okay, this was always going to happen at some point. You and I both are big music fans, Gareth. The soundtrack to The Crow is an absolute belter. To this day, it's got to be up there with one of the best soundtracks of all time. It's a delight. Like whenever people throw out on Twitter or on some social media, like you know, okay, best soundtracks of all time, someone will always mention this, or yeah. it's always going to make a top five of someone's list, like Definitely. without a doubt. Well, that's it. You usually get you know the ones people usually lean towards are like Judgment Night. Oh, I wasn't going to say it, but Judgment Night. Uh, the, uh, a soundtrack that far surpasses the movie. Oh god, yeah, much yeah. like much like Spawn, the soundtrack. Well, see, Spawn was like the Judgment Night just flipped. Judgment Night was a bunch of rappers and like metal artists, and then with Spawn, they just did like metal artists and like and electro dudes, electric, yeah, which electric to- and it totally worked. Like it was brilliant. Um, yeah, both great soundtracks, definitely. But I think the Crow kind of worked because there were so many completely different artists. You've got Pantera and The Cure yeah. on the same soundtrack and it doesn't feel out of place. You've also got very, um, uh, speaking of for the time, you've got like Rage Against the Machine, mm-hmm. you've got the Rollins band, you've got Helmet, who I still yell out to anyone who will listen as such an underrated, such an underrated, band. underrated band when it comes to like that sort of groove rock, groove metal thing that sort of became everything. Yeah. Helmet were those pioneers. That's it. Uh, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Like, uh, fantastic. Stone Temple Pilots. My, like, my Life with the Thrill Kill Cult yeah, who actually yeah. appear in the movie as well and it's yeah. like it fits so well with Great like scene. said for that kind of mid, mid to early 90s sort of vibe. It's absolutely perfect for that industrial kind of goth vibe. Oh yeah. It's an all-star cast when it comes to the soundtrack. Absolutely kick-ass and um Surely, if you're listening to this, you've seen the movie. Uh, we will go into spoilers when we actually talk about the movie <laughs> itself. But um, if you haven't, for whatever reason, listened to the soundtrack anytime recently, uh, go give it another listen. Yeah, it's do still you, awesome. As Molly Meldrum would say, do yourself a favour. Do yourself a favour. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyone who hasn't read the book or seen the film, um, basically the story is uh, Brandon Lee's character, Eric Draven, is... Um, Spending a night with his um his fiance, they're living it up, having a having a you know a lovely time. They're basically a pair of artists. Yeah, um, he's a musician. Yeah, he's a musician. Um, what was that? Hangman's Joke is the name of the band. Something like that. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, some something really like you know nineties and goth. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a moderately successful musician. She's like a painter and a, an artist and all that kind of thing. Um, they're not rich. They're not successful, but they they enjoy their life and they enjoy each other's company. You know, to the millionth degree, it's supposed to be that kind of star-crossed lovers kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, and that all gets completely shattered when there's a a break in, a home invasion, a bunch of scumbags from their area um, break in, beat him senseless. Uh, beat her senseless, uh, assault her in front of him, yeah, and then the, the and then toss him out the window. And they get this across really well at the start of the movie because it's not like a real 
heavy pushed thing where you got to sit through. Like it was very snappy how they kind of without being needlessly graphic. Yeah, definitely. like even like the sort of uh, the the rape that's insinuated is very like kind of. You know, you kind of know it's there, but it's not in your face. Yeah, it's you're not, not like you're not sitting scene. through a ten minute scene of that kind of yeah. awfulness. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, one thing I liked about this film as well is, like, you say how snappy they show something like that, but how non-linear the film is. Like, you get a lot of flashbacks of his yeah. memories, like as he encounters more people. Um, so Eric Draven dies. Um, after being tossed out of the window, yeah. um, he's buried in a cemetery. Um, Shelley Draven is killed as well. She dies in hospital. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so he, the, the year afterwards, on the anniversary of their death, um, this malevolent spirit of death basically resurrects Eric Draven from the grave. That's the embodiment of a crow. Yeah, yeah. Hence, hence the name of the film. He um, is imbued with mystical kind of powers. Like there's the whole thing where he basically, he can't be harmed, he can't be killed whether it's just for this night or in general, the insinuation is it's for this night only on the anniversary. Yeah, um, like he's, it's almost like a healing factor, really. It's it's got a bit of the uh, bit of the Ghost Rider kind yeah, of thing, like yeah. the spirit of vengeance coming back to claim revenge, kind of thing. Oh, definitely, yeah. And he like, um, if he touches people involved with any of the the surroundings of the incident, he can like see what they saw. Yeah, and yeah. make them relive like the guilt. Yeah. potentially of that kind of thing as well. So it's got it definitely has that kind of penance there kind of vibe yeah. at times. But it's him kind of trying to remember and piece together what happened to him as well. So he's going back to all these familiar places. He goes back to their he goes apartment, back to the house to start with which it. is still all boarded up yeah, and still has half their stuff everywhere, which is kind of heartbreaking. And he has to like relive all of that. And you get the whole he, he picks up the cat first and yeah. sees the cat's vision of what happened. Yeah. Um. Just a real quick sidebar. Um. In case you've seen the movie and not read the comic, it's quite different. Uh, they get carjacked. Yeah, it's it's um, it's very different. Um, I actually think I, I got it wrong earlier when I was mentioning the um, the home invasion. I think it was a carjacking okay. that actually happened to James O'Barr and to his partner. Oh, that's um, awful. Yeah, fucking terrible stuff. Um, yeah, so that... Um, they get carjacked. He gets shot in the back of the head. Yeah, and, uh, it's, it's quite thing. graphic the way they draw yeah, it as well. Yeah, his like, hair catches fire after getting shot in the back of the head. Yeah, like... like and uh, one thing that happens is obviously, like his, uh, like you said, his kind of spirit guide or whatever is this crow. Mm. In the in the movie, the crow is always with him. It's always around where he is. In the comic book, it talks to him. Yeah, it actually speaks to him. And uh, that's one thing that really caught me off guard when I read the comic for the first time. Yeah, it's not something you expect when you go from where it's basically just this implied kind of spirit following him to something that actually kind of you know talks to him. Yeah. There's a um. There's a really good comic book at the moment through Image called uh, Coffin Bound. And there's a character with something similar where she's being followed by, um, it's kind of uh, metaphysical and like, you know, linear and meta and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's basically this, this skeleton of a vulture oh. kind of following her everywhere. And the implication is that, you know, she's trying to write herself out of existence and basically undo her life and undo her interaction with any people she's ever kind of dealt with. Um, and the idea is the buzzard is following her because death follows everywhere she goes so it's got it's always got something to feast on and i'm like that's you can see this kind of you know influence from something like the crow in that kind of way one thing that spun me out like obviously in the movie the uh the crow like you know like (laughs) (laughs) i'm really sick right now i can't do a crow sound uh anyway whereas in the comics it's it's sort of like the way it speaks to him it's not like you know i am the angel of death it's like come on man like (laughs) like it talks like a dude it's andrew dice clay yeah yeah which is kind of cool but the other thing is uh in the movie he just heals 
Whereas in the comic, which is so emo and before it's before emo was a thing, <laughs> um, he has to feel pain and remember his like yearning and inner pain of the loss of his wife and his life that actually helps him heal. It's so goth, isn't it's it? It's so, so, yeah. yeah. So like, at, I think at one point he's like cutting his arms up and like another time he's like going back and re- remembering times with his, with his, uh, with yeah. his missus and that's what heals him up and stuff. And I Which, guess like I can see why they made the choices they did for the movie. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure a lot of that is based on what James Obar actually went through in terms of like his trauma and recovery and that kind of thing. But yeah, it doesn't exactly send the best message where like, in order to heal from this awful shit you've been through, relive it over and over and and hurt yourself in the process. Like It's not pretty e- brutal in that regard. Yeah, it's not exactly you know a how-to guide kind of thing. Yeah. Well, one connection that, that Brandon Lee does have throughout the movie is a young girl by the name of Sarah. She's got a junkie mother. Uh, you never know anything about the father. No. Um, and he manages to come across her path eventually. And obviously she was friends with Eric and... Um, Shelley. Um, Shelley, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, the only other sort of compadre he has is a, uh, a police officer um, who's played by Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Awesome. What a good, what a dude. Warden Glenn from Oz. <laughs> Uh, that's right. Everyone's going to think Ghostbusters. I go straight to Oz. Yeah. Um, he does a great job in this though as well. He's, like, he's got He's got that full on, I'm getting too old for this shit kind of vibe. Like this beaten down beat cop on the on the streets of Detroit, mean streets of Detroit, just having to deal with so much bullshit, having to deal with like the captain on his ass all the time. Yeah. The way he talks to himself and stuff, it's just great. Like there's a lot of really good performances in this movie without having like this massive like top tier cast or anything yeah. I think everyone does their part really well like all the thugs are really cool they're very 90s thugs which is great that's it they've got stupid names like you know Tintin and Fun Boy and yeah. stuff like that and they are they are totally like 90s henchmen goons but yeah. you know they have their own attitude they have their own like specific you know ticks and catchphrases and weapons that they use it's yeah, it's got a bit of a streets of rage kind of vibe to it does it. a little but it works and it's cool and it's it's one of those things that like like we say as well like sort of being a product of its time as well that uh it sort of it, you watch it and it's not like you're gonna like oh you know what i mean like it works quite well and the thugs are really good because they're just awful people yeah and the way everything's said in this movie is really cool everything's very dark it's <laughs> raining it's everything's quite it's definitely this. like it strikes me as one of the most atmospheric kind of films of the time like yeah, the definitely. way the way it kind of con- like you say the way it conveys that v that feeling of like dark and gritty and grimy yeah, yeah like almost that seattle kind of vibe yeah like really shitty neighborhoods yeah. like crappy apartment blocks and like you know everyone's wearing like you know beat up clothes and you know like the only sort of real sort of clean sort of uh you know sort of uh character like that is the uh the head of the uh, all the bad guys, top dollar. Yeah. He's always wearing very fresh and clean suits, and his sort of uh, boardroom type area is very clean. And that was everything else is filthy and grimy, and it's really cool how yeah. they do it. And As you a- kind and you kind of get the implication with top dollar that he started off at that street level kind of thing, and he's kind of worked his way up, and now it's like he won't sully his hands by like getting involved with this thing, these kind of things directly, which is why he has. Tintin and Funboy and these other thugs to kind of handle the dirty work and that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. which I think is really cool. Like it gives it that much more kind of. He gives him gives him so much more swagger as a character and as as like the head villain. It gives him so much more. He's got a great voice as well. He's one of those dudes. He just pops up in everything as well. Um, Uh, Michael Wincott. Was he in? um, I want to say not the Bone Collector. What was the other? there was another film from that kind of he's era. An Alien Resurrection. He's in Alien Resurrection. Yeah. Resurrection, very true. Um, yeah, there was another film. I think it was um, 
oh no, it's going to come to me later. I mean, no. I'll th- I'll think about it. But it, but in this film, we will be talking about him again, of course. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he's cool as fuck. He's a very prominent character as well. Absolutely. Um, so in the process of um, the crow, Eric Draven, going off and discovering his memories, he basically starts to go on a hunt for vengeance. He starts yeah. to go finding more information, find out more about what kind of scumbags these people are that perpetrated this crime against him and his partner. And he's basically decided, I'm here. Oh, who knows how long I'll be here? Who knows how I've come back? I need to put the, I need to put the universe right. I need to yeah. balance the scales and I need to get vengeance for my, my beloved Shelley. And he decides this when he goes back to the apartment and, um, you know, he has a flashback of the night that he basically relives the scene of where he and his, uh, and his fiancée were murdered and all that. And then it's, uh, it's go time because obviously he, he goes back to his house pretty much in the pants he was buried in. Yep. He uh, puts on all his rock star gear, paints his face up like what you probably know as the, the crow's face paint, which you may sort of think that's a bit corny, but, you know, you're reading a comic book. You know, you're, yeah. you're watching a movie based on a comic book. Like, That's it. And, um, and I do like that they have like an explanation of why he does it in the film. Like there's that mime mask sitting against the mirror. Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm just, I'm a parody of a person at this mm. point because I've come back from the dead. I'm not really alive anymore. What better way than to mimic and mime what a human being would be? And I'm like, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of, again, it's very 90s, very yeah. emo, very goth, but it, it totally works. And, you know, the I don't care what anyone says, it looks cool. It looks as cool shit, as man. fuck. Yeah. There's a reason why every single Halloween party you go to since 1994, someone's going to be dressed as the crow. And inevitably. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if they're a wrestler from WCW. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so good. <laughs> Great gimmick, of course. You know, we wouldn't have that without this. That's uh, it. Also, the, um, the Halloween episode of South Park where it's yeah. like, no one could go as the crow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Eric's first stop. Does he face Tintin first, or does he go to the uh, the uh, the op shop? I think it's Tintin first. Okay. Um, I think he stumbles across him kind of first, and then um, when he goes to the pawn shop, it's when he gets his guitar. That's um, right. And he basically sends a warning to the rest of them. Yeah, that's um, right. Because hey, uh, no, I think it might be Fun Boy first. Fun Boy. It's the knife guy. Um, oh, no, Tintin. You're right. You're yeah, right. Tintin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've, got the, I've got IMDb open. I, d- I do love that Ernie Hudson, as, as yeah, in character is. as well, just rips the piss out of these people for having name, the names they have as well. Yeah. He's like, what a bunch of dumbasses, yeah, pretty much. so good. And so, like, I mean, was it, is it Skank was one of them? Yeah. Like, he is an actual dumbass. Yeah. Like, they've all got their own sort of little quirks, like um, Fun Boy's the junkie. Yeah. Uh, so Tintin's the first of the... Uh, the thugs that we sort of come across and he's the knife guy. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. And he's got a little bit more intelligence and a little bit more swagger. So I think the fact that he gets taken off the board quite early on is a good thing. Because yeah. if he'd been around for longer, he probably would have figured out more about what's going on. Yeah. Whereas like you say, fun boys, a complete lunatic. Yeah. You know, space cadet on all sorts of uppers and downers and all sorts of other things. Yeah. Um, he's also with um Sarah's mother. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, then you've got... Um, T-Bird. Yes. t kind of came across to me like he was one of the lead of those sort of street-level ones. I don't know if that was just something that I sort of picked up or thought. No, no, I thought the same yeah. thing. I think, yeah, he was like the next one down from Top Dollar. Yeah. That was that kind of vibe going yeah. on. Like whenever they have their little meetings or whatever, he's kind of like the one who's reporting back to him and stuff yeah. like that. But anyway, Eric and uh, Tintin, they have a little bit of a throwdown. Uh, Tintin's like pelting knives at him and stuff like that. And, you know, I never miss because, of course, he swats him away and all that. And um, it doesn't end well for Tintin. No, victims, aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> I'd call it 
I call it blood. You probably write it up as graffiti. Yeah, because after he uh, offs one of these particular people, he leaves the sign of the crow. Yeah, so you get like a big blood smear of the crow like up on, on this on wall. The, on like the wall, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, one of the ones we'll get to later is probably the coolest of all. Yeah, we think of uh, fire. There is, a, there is a, a number of sequels to this movie that are just absolutely terrible. Yeah. The second one had a really good one where I think he throws a chick out the window when she lands on the ground, the blood splatter is the crow. Yeah. Probably the best thing about that entire dog shit movie, apart from Iggy Pop being... I was going to say, Iggy Pop and the soundtrack is probably the best thing about uh, the crow. Tones have a cameo as well. There you go. Why is the second movie everything green? Especially because it's in LA. It's, it's called City of Angels. It's all in LA. Everything's got like a Rob Zombie tinge for some reason. Rob Zombie was going to make one of the crow movies, I'm led to believe, at one point. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know how like there's been sequels that are like... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the sequels are so bad. I'm thinking of... um. What's his face in particular? Edward Furlong. Edward Furlong. That was the fourth one. Yeah. Wicked Prayer. Because oh. I have to watch this. I was a big <laughs> fan of this. And Wicked Prayer is horrible. You've got Edward Furlong. Uh, John Connor himself is the crow. You've got... Uh, does he say easy money at any point? I don't think he does. No. He should. Dennis Hopper's playing some sort of like homeboy gangster. And Danny Trejo is playing a Native American. Okay. Oh, and, uh, and what's his name? David Borneos is in it as well. It's just so odd. That, that film sounds like a Wheel of Fortune type thing where it just lands on random actors from IMDb and they had to be in this movie. That's <laughs> well, how I... All those ingredients together still make a shit film. Who would have thought? Uh, okay, so so Tintin, he, uh, he, he, he goes, his uh, blood's on the wall in the shape of the crow. Uh, he goes to a pawn shop because he wants to find the engagement ring. Yeah. And uh, the guy who plays the pawn shop owner, so good, just so schlubby and yeah. dirtbaggy, and just yeah, he's he's got that full on New York New York Bob Hoskins kind of vibe. Yeah, like he, he should does. he should have been framing Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, so um, I mean, long story short, he finds that he finds the um, uh, he finds the the, the ring that he's after. Yeah, uh, he grabs a shotgun off him. Oh, he gets shot with a shotgun, which yep. is where you sort of see him, you know, his hand regenerate and stuff like that. Um, and then he also grabs a guitar on his way out because, you know, why not just, you know, bust out a few riffs. That's it. Um, again, pull- again, it's like that whole thing of like rebuilding the connections to his past life. Like he's got the engagement ring from you know his partner. He's got his guitar. He's got his rock star clothes. It's like, you know, one last hurrah as Eric Draven kind of thing, which I, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And he basically tells this guy, I'm not going to kill you. He said, I want you to go to all these people and tell them death is coming for you and tell them that Eric Draven sent you. And he pours a bunch of like, rings into the shotgun goes oh he, he pours gasoline everywhere too yeah. doesn't he yeah and then he shoots the shotgun blows up the store there's a really cool effect that i thought um even still like when he shoots the shotgun you see the rings come out of the blast of the shotgun yeah pretty cool well even the explosion of the pawn shot itself pawn shop itself like the way it kind of launches yeah like it looks it looks like they've just burnt down an actual pawn shop and gone oh yeah. fuck it we'll, we'll get it in post it's pretty sweet it's pretty damn cool yeah yeah you see a um i think in between then there's like a uh, a scene with um top dollar where like oh, he's he lives his boardroom and his sort of you know uh gangster lair is kind of above a nightclub where there's like you know bands playing and Great setting for cool music that you'll hear throughout the night. That's it, yeah. And it, yeah. Worked, it works really well for him to be like keeping an eye because he's obviously pushing all sorts of product like drugs and all that kind of thing. Oh, what yeah, better like pl- heaps of drugs that they like. What better place to do that than in a nightclub where you get to listen to your own music that you like and also get to keep an eye on the product and the distributors and all that kind of thing and the clientele. It's like, it's, you know, bad guy 101, really. I didn't realize Tony Todd's in this. Yeah, he um, he's the he's, guy with the fedora. Yeah, he's yeah. the offside of a top dollar, isn't he? Yeah, he's kind yeah, of his, I, I, his advisor that isn't his sister. 
I haven't watched it uh, that recently. I mean, I know it so well because yeah. I watched it to a ridiculous degree back in the day. But it's awesome. Anything that gets Tony Todd work. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, the Candyman, in case you don't know who Tony Todd is. The best. Um, so who's next on the list? Is it Fun Boy? I think it's Fun Boy up next, yeah. Because you get him, like, <sighs> kind of fused to the car. Uh, no, 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 Fun Boy's um, the, the junkie. That's right, yes, so yes. Because he, he, he's just run into Sarah for yeah. the first time. That's at a different pub where Sarah's mum works and she's yeah. all like smacked out. And um, Yeah, you know. then you get the you get the needles in the in the yeah. crow shape. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. so they um, uh, obviously Fun Boy's with um, Darla, who's Sarah's mum, and um, basically tells Sarah to piss off. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, great. She's just skateboarding around in the rain and stuff. And then um, he takes Darla upstairs and they shoot up. Do their heroin once again, nineties. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when in when in doubt, goths and emo kids. It's heroin time on yeah. this in this film, apparently. Yeah, and then uh, obviously Eric comes through because they're sort of uh, they're getting hot and heavy, so yeah. to speak. And then all of a sudden, there's a, there's a crow inside <laughs> their house, which is uh, his reaction's great. He actually he plays the kind of uh, not it out sort of dude really well. Yeah, he's like, like very, again, not a big name actor or anything, just, but just, just people. very very confused about what's going on. With yeah. Him. Yeah, and then uh, he shoots him in the leg first, doesn't he? Because mm. he kind of passes out while he's bleeding, and he's like, look what you did to my sheets. <laughs> um, and there's a really cool scene where he, he grabs Dala, Sarah's mom in the room. And squeezes all the heroin yeah. out of the arm. Yeah, and, and it's squeezes like, the drugs out of her veins. And he's having really this cool. full-on like demented sort of look in his face, telling her, you have a daughter downstairs who loves you and needs you. Yeah. Um, give up this shit and he like just right in the eyes like again the whole penance there kind of making yeah. her feel the trauma and the guilt of what she's doing to herself and doing to her daughter in the process she basically um, just belts bolts, it out yeah. of there in her underwear and all yeah um and then you see him kind of uh drag fun boy like into the bathroom and stuff and they don't fully show what he does but when you uh see him after he's clearly dead he's like the crow sort of carved in his chest with like all needles and syringes yeah, and stuff it's pretty it's, uh, intense yeah it's badass man it's um yeah it's continuing that theme uh where do we go to next it's i think after this is when you get the first kind of shot of um top dollars um sister uh played by Bai Ling. oh yeah, um, yeah and she's got that kind of mystical sort of she's like you know, omens of port, you know, ill portent and stuff she's like, like that. Boiling an eye or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and she's got her own kind of birds and stuff that she's kind of feeding, and like, it's really creepy and weird. And again, the atmosphere, like, it gets across that creepy, weird kind of atmosphere. It's like, well, we've established that the crow is a thing, yeah, and that he has these abilities now. Are we establishing that she has some sort of like foresight? Yeah, I, I don't know. She does have some sort of uh, like some sort of gift, something going on. Yeah, if not that, she's just like totally just she's drug, just a lunatic, drugged <laughs> up and just yeah. It's it's one of those things that could go either way. That's but it. um, you know. but I think it's really cool. Like again, she could just t- easily turn out to just be a generic henchwoman kind of vibe, but she's creepy and weird and memorable enough. You're like oh, every time she's on screen, you're like you're instant, <sighs> you're instantly kind of drawn to her, which yeah, I think is they, cool. They, he claims that she's his sister or whatever, but they're clearly fucking. Yeah, it's a very Game of Thrones kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. That it's but anyway, that's that's a thing. And you have a little ga- gang meeting, I think. Then um, yeah, because um, Tintin's not reported in. They've found out that the body, you know, the body's been you know tracked and found, all that kind of stuff. So it's starting. They're starting to realize something's going on. Yeah, and the other thing is that on on Devil's Night, uh, Top Dollar gets all his goons to basically blow up a bunch of places, set the city on fire. Yeah, like that's their that's their goal. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. And that's kind of where it gets the name of Devil's Night yeah. is because the city's on fire and it looks like hell because there's just smoke and fire and brimstone and that kind of 
that you know hell on earth kind of vibe going on yeah. and in the process obviously burning down different places they're probably going to buy out different property and real estate because you know they're now burnt out abandoned buildings there was something about the real estate which is why they had to uh get rid of they, that's Shelley right well. that's right because they refused to move out of this crappy neighborhood which they were going to burn down and just mm. you know replace with luxury apartments or you know just you know replace with whatever they wanted kind of thing entrepreneurial gangsters that's it yeah. yeah which is again is cool for for a 90s kind of action film like this yeah it's I'm thinking oh, my exact timeline of it all is a little skewed. I know that um, Ernie Hudson sees him at one stage and Sarah kind of sort of sees Eric at one stage as well and isn't sure she's seen what she's seen. Yeah, that it's not till after Dallas kind of got together with her, you know, gone back to the apartment and found um, Sarah. She's made, trying to make her pancakes and she's trying to kind of atone for some of her behaviour. And they have a bit of a like a bit of a moment where they're like, "Yeah, you know what? You're trying. I'm gonna try as well." Yeah, I know. Further down the track, they all have like a big sort of meeting and hang out or whatever. But we get a really cool moment with um, uh, T Bird and Skank. Um, really, really cool scene because uh, obviously T Bird's a bit of a high roll amongst them all, and they're sort of like you know pouring one out on the curb for their homie. Fire it up. Yeah, fire it up. Um, and uh, <laughs> that's when he. Uh, that's right, yeah. He yep. takes off in his car. He's basically like, you know, drive. Yeah. Uh, Eric's behind him. Yep. And then they... Um, and T-Bird like pretty much straight away realises who this person is and yeah. why it's come back on them. And it's like... I believe the quote is, you can't be you. We put you through a window. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Such a quotable movie. Abash the devil stood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. He quotes everything back to him from that night. And it's like, like you said, the guy who plays... I why, but I get real like Lane Staley vibes off that guy. Totally. Like, yeah. It's, it's the heroine, let's be it's honest. It's got to be, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But like you said, the dude who plays T-Bird does a phenomenal job. Like he gets across like the end of the world kind of hitting him. Um, he gives away, like, gives off that kind of, I'm fucked. Yeah. Like, there's that that horror, that realisation, that slow kind of descent into, I, ha- I have no say over this, I will be... He kind of accepts his fate. Yeah, that's it. Like, he kind of, you know, you can see hell opening up in front of him. This dude, this creature's come back from, from being thrown through a window and murdered and somehow is coming back to claim vengeance on them. Yeah. And he's like, fuck, what am I supposed to do in the face of this? And I kind of like the way he responds to it is like that despair that he kind of is just like, this isn't possible. How is this possible? Yeah, there ain't no coming back. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we killed you dead. There ain't no coming yeah. back. Yeah, he, he basically makes uh, Tebow go speeding like hell, hell fast to the uh, to the docks and there's like a bit of a police chase going on. Yeah. Skank comes out of the shop from getting smokes and beers and gets hit by a car. <laughs> uh, he doesn't die though. He's, he's still going. He's yeah. just such a piece of shit. But like um, Eric basically duct tapes. T-Bird to the car, fills it with explosives and guns and all kinds of bits and pieces and launches it off the end of a pier and blows him to smithereens. It's really cool. And what's even cooler is after the car is blown up, the uh, sign of the crow he leaves is in like like petrol or whatever. It's like a... a crow fire. Yeah. Like the outline of the crow is done in flames. Well, and you don't see it until Ernie Hudson is on the scene with the other detectives. It's so cool. And they're like, oh, there's no way it's a, you know, it's just a car chase, just an explosion, blah, blah. He's like, oh, yeah, cool. Drops a cigarette on the on the gasoline oh, and then it makes the crow. Oh, it's it, so cool. It looks so rad, yeah. So uh, we're, we're, we're well into it now. We know what's going on. Um, I know Skank goes back to 
top goes back dollar. to top dollar, yeah. Yeah, and he's just like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like a shell of a human and can't believe what he sees. It's like, Which is hilarious because he's already such a fuck up yeah. before this. And then it's like, he's so broken at this point because all his friends are dead. Yeah. He knows that somebody's coming to kill him as well. Yeah, and, and top, just- top dollar's like stacked up on gangsters. There's like a massive room full of, uh, full of uh, gangsters and stuff. Um, what does he say to him? He's like, how do you feel tonight? He's like, I feel like a little worm on a big fucking hook. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, I think before that scene is when we meet with, um, we have Eric meet with um, Sarah and, yeah. and Ernie Hudson. Because he's kind of been keeping an eye on them up to this point. Like, he's kind of noticed them around because mm. he's, again, trying to reconnect with his human life and that kind of thing. And, and Sarah remember. always talks to him. He, she's on friendly terms with this, this yeah. police officer. That's it, because he's keeping an eye on her yeah. because he knows that the mum up to that point has been like a, a crazy junkie who's not involved and looking after her. And she's a teen girl yeah. skateboarding around this shitty fucking city. If she doesn't have somebody looking after her, bad shit's going to happen. So, yeah. like, they meet up for, like, um, burritos and stuff like that. And yeah. Some food truck, which is kind of sweet that he's keeping an eye on yeah. this kid. He's, like, a good, honest cop, like you said. Kind of a, getting a bit too old for this shit. Um, but Eric meets with him because they kind of, you know, it gets to a point where he sort of uh, uh, reveals himself to both of them. And, you know, Sarah is just, you know, beside herself because her, her good friend's back from the dead. That's and, you know, it. And um, he ends up, uh, touching the police officer and he sees his fiance die in his eyes and he's like, you stayed with her the entire time. And like, he basically feels the pain of her dying through the vision of what yeah. the policeman saw. That's it. And she was basically like calling Eric's name the whole yeah. time kind of thing. And it's like, it's pretty traumatic the way they yeah, do it. Yeah, it's a really cool scene and it breaks it up from all like the, this is so cool and badass. Then the run and gun kind on. of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And again, it gets to like, this is one thing I think they did so well with this film is it's, it's about the human relationships and connections. It's not just all about revenge fantasy kind of stuff. Yeah. Like it gets to the heart of why these people cared about each other, about each other in the first place and what that kind of loss and trauma can do to people. Yeah. Like I think it's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a backwards sort of love story in, in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. So then it leads to the, the scene with all the gangsters and they're ready to sort of, um, you know, Basically. Yeah, they're, they're all tooled up and ready they, for action. They know what's going on now. They're like, look, our guys are getting taken out. Yeah, this is a bad step. If, yeah. if we let this keep going, yeah. we're going to have nobody left or we're going to lose territory to other gangs who are going to see weakness. So mm. they're like, all right, warrior style, get tooled up, let's go. And there's so many. There's like a big, big, massive table just full of guys loading up machine guns and stuff like that, which would have been the scene that you were saying. That's right, where, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Brandon Lee was shot. Um, it's a cool scene, though. It's really like, cool. Because the... the the crow actually comes in and like they kind of, you know, so, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden he basically just fronts up in front of everyone. He basically just like lands on the front of the table, doesn't yeah, he? He's just kind of like, surprise, uh, motherfuckers. Crosses his legs, sits on the table, has a bit of a power with him. And then... Um, and he says, I'm going to kill you all. Yeah, <laughs> he basically, yeah. calls a shot. He's like, I just want... No, he's like, I just want you. And he points to Skank. And then he's like, well, you can't have him. And then he's like, yeah, he's basically saying that he's going to kill them all, rah, rah, rah. And then Top Dollar's like, oh, fuck it, I'm bored. Kill him. Yeah. That's so they all just unload, shoot the shit out of him. He falls down, but then they can't find him. And he pops up and he's shooting guns. And yeah, shooting dragging guns. people under the tables. Awesome and stuff. music's playing. It's, it's my, such a cool scene. And that's when you get the whole scene of like my life with the thrill kill cult yeah. playing in the in the same club, and you get the shots of them on stage with all their crazy like industrial outfits. Yeah, big interspersed big, with all this gun action and stuff. That's like, it. So cool. Yeah, it's again uh, very nineties, but very cool at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what someone who's like I don't know fifteen now. 
Yeah, we that's not a bad. That's that. not a bad shout actually, because yeah. you know, for us, that's kind of the era we were growing up in. That was really formative we years. Were the target for us. audience. That's it. We and were we were beyond the target audience in every way, like film, TV, movie, yeah. music. Us being in our thirties now is kind of like, oh man, of course that's cool. Whereas someone who's say fifteen years, they, they were born in two thousand and four. Yeah, like they like even metal and even alternative music, if you will, has been pushed uh, so far yeah, beyond and like that. goth and emo and these sort of little sort of niche trends and stuff of like gone through so much to what they were well that's it and you look at what like the enduring kind of 90s nostalgia stuff is for the mainstream and it's things like friends and clueless and that sort of stuff so that's the kind of thing kids from that age or you know kids that are 15 now that would be most familiar with you compare it to something like the crow which was quite underground and quite you know counterculture yeah would it have the same impact like you say yeah an experiment for a future date i think if anyone's listening to this and is like I don't know, born after the year 2000, <laughs> uh, hit us up, please. We'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on how like cool this is. Yeah, that's it. We want, just, just generally, we'd love to hear your thoughts on like this kind of era of t- film and TV. Like, yeah. Do you go back and re-explore these kind of films and t- uh, movies and stuff like that regularly? Do they float your boat? Do you have any kind of connection to them now? I think, it'd be, I think it'd be really fascinating to find out. This is a hell of a sidebar. Right? Yeah, yeah. But make best. no mistake about it. At the time, this was fuck. I mean, at least for me, who I was, I was like, I got into metal really young and the alternative scene was really cool and I was like right into all that sort of shit. This was cool as fuck. It just felt like a music video. Yeah. Like the whole so, thing like, just so, cool. so had that vibe. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're all shooting the shit out of each other. Um, <laughs> awesome scene. Yeah. Okay. So they uh, they have a big big face off. They shoot a bunch of people. He he throws Skank out a window in the end, mm. doesn't he? Yeah. He basically gets the full on kind of exactly, like, exactly like how as you did to me. Got, yeah. Got Time killed. to fly. Yeah. 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 And um, uh, Top Dollar and his sister get away. That's right. And uh, Tony Todd gets away as well. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And um, oh, how does it lead to the the big sort of finale I'm struggling here I think they've because they find um, Sarah don't they yes they get Sarah and they basically take her to the church Mm. and it's the church where they were buried Mm. like it's next to the graveyard where they're buried the church was where they had the funeral services and all that kind of thing so it's like they assume it's a visit like because Bai Ling's character um she has again these kind of visions and portents of evil and that kind of thing, and she kind of feels like if we confront him in his place of power, we can undo whatever spell is bringing him back from the dead. She also comes to the, she she figures out also that the crow is his source of power, mm. and if you what is it, uh, kill the crow, destroy the man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ka-ka, these Ka-ka, are all just coming. Ka-ka, bang, just- fuck, I'm dead. <laughs> Oh, oh, what a great line! These, these, all these lines are just coming straight back to me. So throwback, um, it's awesome. So anyway, um. Eric Draven grabs grabs Ernie Hudson, and because uh, he like, needs some backup, at he this does. Point, yeah. yeah, he's uh he's a bit sore and sorry because he just got shot about thirty times. Yeah, and um, he's kind of stretching the limit of the powers for the crow because they're getting it's getting late in the evening at this point now. He's like, yeah. how long can this hold out? Like again, at this point, you, it's insinuated, but it's not explicitly told how long this power is going to hold out. The assumption it'll, is it'll be just for this one night only. So but it's like, I, I need like, to get revenge. I need to get. I need to yeah. stop these people. I need to stop. I've killed the people I need to kill, but I need to save the people who need saving. So Sarah needs saving. Ernie Hudson needs saving. It, it's more about saving Sarah now than it is to him exacting his revenge. Which is... Like, it, he's killed the exact group of people that killed him. Obviously, there's still the uh, the ringleader of it all. Yeah. And um, so it comes down to going down in the church. He, uh, they're obviously in there waiting. Um yeah, Tony Todd. Tony Todd's got a gun to Sarah's he's head. He's up in like the the rafters. That's right. Sorry, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, he's got like a sniper rifle. Yeah, uh, very suave. 
Um, he's such a badass in this so movie. Like, voice, I keep, I keep forgetting how much of a badass he is in general. But in this film, he just, he's so smooth. Yeah, he is. Bless Tony, his Tony Todd's awesome. Bless his heart. Yeah. So um, they're awaiting. They've got Sarah. Um, Eric barges through, opens up, you know, he's like slams open the doors of the church where you get pretty much what's the front cover of the of the movie poster. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cool. It's very it's cool. Very cool. It's yeah. very um goth Aragorn. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they have a big face off and uh whilst they're sort of uh jaw jacking against each other, Tony Todd hiding up in the in the rafters, which Eric's unaware of, basically snipers the crow, the actual bird crow. Yeah. Um and uh once the crow's been shot, then um Top Dollar Top shoots him, shoots he? Eric and yeah, he like gets hurt and bleeds and a lot. And he panics yeah. at that point because he's like, Oh shit, they found they found how I cause he didn't really understand at that point either. No. He's kind of assumed which is why he's walked in so blight like so blase, because yeah. he assumes, Oh, I can't be killed, I can't be hurt until my mission's complete. Uh no, you can, motherfucker. He kind of figures that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the blood's leaking from his stomach, ironically enough. Mm. Um yeah, so you get this whole face off with like um the Bai, bai Ling is trying to like chase down the crow the wounded crow because yeah. she wants the power for herself to just come back from the dead um, she wants its eyes yeah like, yeah it's like she's got a thing about eyes very much so like there's yeah. this point where like her pet birds like eat eyes and she gets some sort of vision it's like very open to interpretation yeah they don't really spell it out for you and it's you know whatever yeah that's it again more character building more atmospheric than anything uh, yeah. which I, I like it when movies don't just blatantly explain everything well that's it what would a five minute explanation of that have added to the film yeah. nothing like it'd yeah. probably just been like completely jarring and like, like side-stepping a weirdo. yeah that's like, it like she, she may have some sort of she may just be off her head yeah that's it yeah which is way more entertaining oh yeah given and then many, uh, <laughs> given how many how off the head everyone else did isn't it oh yeah there's, there's there's a lot of that going around <laughs> um and then i remember he uh he goes to any husband and he's like oh look i'm, I'm hurt i'm bleeding he's like i thought you know you could heal. He's like, well, I can't now. Like, it's, it's kind of all like, well, fuck. Yeah, like, that's it. I've done enough at this point, yeah, right? Yeah. What, what more do you want from me? So, um, you've got Ernie Hudson dealing with uh, Tony Todd and uh, the uh, uh, what's what's her name? Sorry, a biling. Yeah. Um, while she tries to get the crow, the crow uh like pecks her pecks eyes her out. Her eyes out. Yeah. And then she's she got the whole screaming like she like falls down the bell tower type thing. Is it? Yeah, because yeah. she's because she's up on the because it's managed to drag itself up onto mm. one of the beams and she's kind of trying to drag it down so she can work her voodoo on it and like say it turns around pecks her eyes out in one moment of defiance and she goes tumbling over the edge and she's gone yep uh, very very another, another very cool death scene there's, there's a lot of that going around yeah. in this movie and um, then it leads to the very top of the church in the pouring rain because why would because you? of course not because 90s awesomeness <laughs> uh, where Top Dollar and Eric are going at Eric's in a lot of pain he's bleeding out he's been, he's been wounded multiple times yeah and Top Dollar kind of has the big revelation where he's like, yeah, I was responsible. I yeah. told them to kill you both because you wouldn't leave your apartment. Um, if you want to blame anyone for this, blame me. But you can't blame anyone because you're going to be dead again soon yeah. kind of thing. And he has a sword. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's well, cool. Well, like, he, he totally, like, he is so much like a Highlander character at this point. Like his, hair. his long hair, his waistcoat, his, his, hair is puff, amazing. his puffy shirt, and now a fucking sword just to complete the look. He's you like, think his hair is real? I don't know to be honest. It looks fake, but it I'd look, like to think it was real. I think it's because he's got just because he's got such a massive forehead. Yeah, it kind of throws it off. <laughs> Good call. He's got the Vigo forehead going yeah. on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Um. So they're going at it, and he actually stabs Eric straight through the uh. Like, is it from from behind? He f- spins him. 
goes through his back and out. Pretty much, yeah. Like a full-on impaled kind of like look to him. And And yeah, you think, uh, all right, that's it. He's done. He's giving out another solid diatribe to Eric and sort of letting him know like, hey, you know, what does he say? Something like, for what it's worth. um, You know, something like, you know, to the effect of you you put up one other fight. Yeah. And he basically says like, he's not going to be able to protect Sarah now. He's not going to be able to protect his friend, the friend, the cop and stuff like that. Um, and he basically says, you know, was it worth it? And all that kind of stuff. And Eric just spins around, grabs him by the head. And, you know, this is probably the, the moment where it's the most Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah, massively. Like he, he basically pours all the trauma and all the pain of him dying, she, um, Shelly dying. Shelly's long drawn out, like, in the hospital. Because you see flashes of her in the hospital. Yeah, with all the machines strapped onto her and yeah. bleeding out and all these kind of wounds and stuff like that. He says, like, 13 hours of pain all at once All at once, yeah. And he basically, like, you know, electroshocks him yeah. to death with this train of trauma and pain. And then drops him off the top of the church and he lands on, like, a gargoyle that's almost like a water feature, but, yeah. like, his blood's coming out of it. Very cool. Pretty damn cool. Yeah. Reminded me a lot of the uh, Garth Ennis Punisher when that dude gets dropped off the side of the building and he goes through the spiked fence. Yes. And he's basically like snapped in half by the spiked fence. And it's like probably one of the worst ways you can go, let's be <laughs> honest. It's pretty gruesome. Uh, uh, but very but very badass as like a you know climactic sort of battle for a film like this. Well, you know, you, there's a lot of badass stuff going on in this movie. You've got to you gotta you gotta let the climax be badass. Absolutely. And uh Pretty much uh, Eric's, you know, basically like, yep, cool, I'm done. Um, and he sort of has some final words. Yeah, he kind of like tells Shelley and, um, sorry, Sarah and uh, Ernie Hudson to keep an eye on each other, keep looking out for each other, um, tells Sarah to give her mum a chance yeah. again as G- well. Gives her the ring. Well, that's, I think that's earlier on he gives her the... Yeah, it's kind of like before they go off to battle kind yeah, of thing. Like before like, she's been kidnapped. And Shelly would want you to have this. Yeah, that's it. It's like one final connection because he's like, where I'm going, she will, she, hopefully she'll be there yeah. and I won't need it anymore kind of thing. And then the final scene is he's crawling back to his gravesite, which uh, you do see earlier on as well. Like Tony Todd goes there and sees that it's all dug it's up all and dug stuff. Up and fucked These up, are yeah. little things we forgot because it's not as badass as the rest of it. Exactly. Um and as he's like laying down in front of, uh, it, it's her gravesite, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you sort of see like a kind of ghost-like image of Shelley come back down and sort of, uh, yeah, sort of like take him. That's it, welcoming him back to the grave, kind yeah. of thing, and being like, yeah, your work is done, sort of yeah. thing. And um, that's pretty much all she wrote. It's uh, I know at the end it says for Brandon and Eliza. I'm not sure if Eliza was like his. Possibly, significant other or possibly not? James O'Barr's partner. I'm not too sure off the top of my head. Oh, okay. That, maybe that's maybe it. Maybe I'm not too sure. I've never bothered to look into it. Probably should have before doing this podcast. Yeah, it's future us's problem. That's true. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then that's the uh, that's the end of the Crow, uh, uh, a movie I still really thoroughly enjoy. Well, I think it says a lot that neither of us needed the felt the need to go back and rewatch it right before recording this because we know it so well. Well, we were meant to do this a long time ago. Yeah, and I was kind of saying like, oh, you know, we could do this at any time because I've seen this so many times. I know. Know it so well. I've uh, I've only read the comic once through, but I remember it very well as yeah. well. Um, and we're quite knowledgeable about the surroundings of it, the settings of it, like the era. I think especially. it's yeah, like we were saying, it was quite a formative, quite a formative piece of media as a film for us. Like being so era specific and being so inde- you know, indebted to the different music scenes that we're both huge fans yeah. of and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I love this film. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of it. I I was and still still are like. If I'm, you know, flicking through Foxtel and it's like, you know, 
halfway through, I'm going to watch the rest of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not going to, like, skip past it. And be like, yeah. That's it, like, yeah. It's, it's something that still sort of resonates with me. It's something that I'm still kind of watching and go, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Even the stuff that might not have dated as well, you're still kind of like, ah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's a scene where he's, like, you know, playing his guitar on the ceiling and stuff, like, on the, on the ceiling, on the uh, on the roof of his yeah. old apartment and stuff. And I don't know, I still think that's kind of cool. I think, again, like, it's still a film I find myself quoting as well. Like, yeah. you know, Can't Rain All the Time. That's uh, right. Fire it up, the whole fire it up sequence, yeah, as we yeah. were saying. Um, there's all there's all sorts of ba- excellent banter and dialogue through this movie, which I think helps give it that that extra bit of heart compared to these kind of other action films of the time. Yeah, I, yeah. I just I just think it's solid. It's as solid as a rock movie. Yeah, I think so. It's just really sad, also, when you sort of uh, think that obviously it's the movie that ended Brandon Lee's life, um, yeah. which everyone knew going into as well because it was quite well. Um, reported yeah that's um, it like there was all the tmz and and Simon tonight and all those kind of things like reporting about this film being the end of his life and how they had to kind of cobble together certain shots and early days of cg and effects and that kind of thing to kind of make things flow yeah it, i mean i remember seeing like um hard copy mm. hard copy oh wow yeah i remember seeing a story about this and david carradine was the person doing the story because he was friends with or at least you know New Bruce Lee mm-hmm. um, and they were talking about it and how it all went wrong and all this sort of stuff so it was really well documented you sort of went in knowing that this was at some point because it was also a very early CGI because they, mm. they had to computer generate his face in some of the scenes that's which it. I still can't pick out That's which is hilarious like, even now, I've seen it so many times and I can't point to one scene and go that's not, that's him. not him Yeah, yeah. which is crazy to think you think we're in 2019 and there's still so many egregious moments of terrible CG in films well the other movie we've talked about doing a podcast on is Spawn and that is the epitome of terrible CGI yep this yep. movie was before that which is terrifying to think it was like yeah two or three years previous wasn't yeah. it to be fair the only CG CGI in this would be his face, whereas Spawn, it's almost most of the movie. It's basically yeah, the constant cardboard cutouts of the cape floating yeah. around on screen yeah. in the way of oh, everything. God. That's a story for another time. It is. Um, I just had to look up whilst you were talking. Uh, the budget for this movie was $23 million, and it ended up uh, worldwide grossing over $50 million. So it doubled its money. It's pretty damn good. It was good. a successful movie. That's pretty damn good for the time as yeah. well. Like, it got a theatrical release, of course. Um, the sequel got a theatrical release. Uh, number three, which was Salvation, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, that one and Wicked Prayer were like straight to straight to video. Yeah, as rightfully well, so. As well, they should have been. So it spawned some horrible sequels. By all means, watch if you kind of dig the crow and just kind of. Yeah, the um, I can't even really recommend it on a bad level. No, like, <laughs> no, that's it. Like it's it, such horrible. It's movies. not even a mystery science theater kind of watch. Yeah, I, oh, like, much in much the same way. A lot of the follow up comics and that kind of thing, um, not really worth your time. There was like the uh, midnight. I think it was Midnight Crusade. There was like skinning the wolves, um, stuff like that. They're all you know your mileage may may vary with them. A lot of them aren't written by James O'Barr either. He kind of like came up with ideas and just gave them to random offsiders and said write the story of this. And I'm kind of like. Do you really want to keep tarnishing your legacy to this point? Yeah, it's oh, it's one of those things, it right? It is, yeah. Bless their hearts. Everyone's kind of been there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I still think it holds up. Um, I still really enjoy it. And I hope you do too. I mean, uh, do we do ratings for movies like we do our TV series? I think so. Why, no, why the hell not? Oh, hit, what, me with, hit me with yours. Oh, come on, you go first. Four out of five. All right, I'll, yeah, I'll go four. Out of, I'll go four and a half out of five. That's fair. Just because, and that's the thing as well. This is, um, you know, like we've we've sort of addressed as well. Uh, the point 
of time when it came out, especially of our lives, it was very impactful. It yeah. ticked a lot of the boxes for us. I was a big horror fan. I was in a darker sort of shit. Yep. I liked Brandon Lee's previous movies. Um, and also, the soundtrack is just awesome. It's killer. It's absolutely killer. I'm going to listen to it on the way home now. Please do. Please yeah. do. I insist upon yeah. it. Um, do you guys like this film? Have you ever watched this film? Have you not watched this film? Are you going to go watch it after this? Please let us know. We want to know if... You know, these kind of retro episodes, we, we're always a fan of doing this kind of stuff. This mm. is the first one we're kind of delving into for this particular podcast. It's our first movie. Isn't that weird? We've touched on the Punisher movies when we talked about the Punisher TV show. Which is weird because we talk about movies all the time when we're just hanging out normally. Always. Like, yeah, if you guys want to hear us talk about more retro movies, if you want to hear us talk about more modern day movies and that kind of thing as well, by all means, hit us up. Um, we're if you'd like us to talk about all five or six seasons of Oz. Oh, <laughs> boy. Just now, so you get more Ernie Hudson. Now, there's an I we didn't talk. we didn't refer to Ernie Hudson as his character at all. No, much yes. like much like um, Jack Nicholson. He's Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Ernie Hudson is Ernie Hudson. Yeah. He's, that's oh, he's that's so just good. what he is. Yeah. Um, but no, we'd love to hear what you think. Furthermore, I'd love to hear from people who haven't seen this movie. Me what, too. What you know of this movie. Like especially yeah. now, so far after what did you say, twenty five years? Twenty five years since the film came out. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you do you are you aware of this film? Have you never bothered watching it just based on any other reputation or things you thought about the movie? Um, we'd love to hear what you guys think. Yeah. This is what we're here for. Feedback, baby. Please. Wow. Anyway, this is fun. Yeah, this was a good fun. Um, if you've got recommendations for other episodes that you'd like us to talk about, other films you'd like to talk about, um, if you can keep them potentially connected to the kind of comic book world, um, that keeps the theme of the show going. We're always a fan of this kind of stuff. Like we said, we may end How up... How fucking do- we stray? Like, there, there in this lies- guy was in this movie that was a, written by a comic guy and did this and... If you can come and, up with a reasonable, plausible and now, and now connection... now we're reviewing Fight Club. That's it. Like- <laughs> there are comics. There is, There yes, are comics. Yes. So yeah, yeah, it's right. not too far, you know, not far, right. too far. Quick review of Fight Club. It's fucking awesome. There you go. That was uh, easy. Yeah, cool. Five stars. Uh, yeah, yeah, five <laughs> stars. Uh, no, thank you for joining us on this journey when we went back to 1994. It was yeah, a simpler been, time. It's been a blast. Um, yeah. I'm a sucker for this kind of flow throwback episode. So if you guys have got ideas for us to record more of this, if you want to hear more of this, please let us know. Um, hit us up on the, all the social channels, all that kind of stuff. Um, I believe Jay and uh, Luke will be talking about Green Lantern coming up. Oh. Um, I'll be very interested to see how that holds up wow. or, you know, doesn't hold up because it's a piece of shit in my opinion. It's, man, you know how much I love Green Lantern. Yeah. The movie was not it good. It was not good. It was good seeing certain things in it and uh, Mark Strong as Sinestro was, was awesome. great. He was the best part of it by a country yeah. mile. Yeah. Um, they will also be talking about Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans. Oh, which, okay. I be- which I believe they both absolutely loved. A versus episode. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm cool. I'm oh, down no, with no, that. No, the, the actual film. They did a film. Oh. oh, the Teen Titans go to the movies. Yeah, versus Teen Titans go to the movies versus Teen Titans. Oh. It's like a weird crossover kind of thing. It's kind of, apparently, um, Jay was telling me about it today, he absolutely loved it. Okay, and cool. I'm, I'm very keen to hear what they say about it, and um, hopefully Luke enjoyed it too. Um, hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. Uh, like I said before, uh, hit us up on social channels if you want to recommend other ideas for us to record. Uh, until then, I'm Gareth. I'm Adam. We'll see you soon. <laughs>